Open the Word of God, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and the text that we have taken as the theme text for this sermon series of Higher Ground. Seeking those things that the Lord desires for us in which we should advance and grow and abound in more and more to His glory and honor and the fulfillment of His grace in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Amen and amen. And God will bless the reading of His inspired and preserved words. We do not want to be content with having received the truth of God. These Thessalonian saints had been taught by the Apostle Paul. They had received the truth of God. And the Apostle makes mention of it here, that they had received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God. But we don't want to be content with having received the truth. We want to apply and obey the truth and abound in it more and more, which truth is to lead us to please God and to walk with Him better and better. Lord, help us to this end. Is there not a cause? David said those words when he saw and heard Goliath blaspheming the armies of Israel and the God of Israel. We have a cause. We want to give the Lord Jesus Christ the best church that we possibly can. And this is how we do it. We take the things that we have received that are the truth of God and we apply them in our lives so that we abound in them more and more, walking with Him and pleasing Him. Just a couple of weeks ago, Nathan taught you about zeal and he used as his text one of his texts, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, which says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Because God has sent His gospel to us, we have already found what we ought to do. So the whatsoever is already defined, as he explained that night to you. And we want to abound in it more and more. We want to do it with our might. There are three factors that make preaching effective. First of all, you need to understand what is taught. And so we use great plainness of speech, as 2 Corinthians 3.12 tells us to do. Then, you need to remember what you were taught. How many times in the book of Proverbs does Solomon address his son and the citizens of Israel and remind them to retain and to remember and to bind up the words of wisdom that he's giving them lest they slip away. And so the first two ingredients for making preaching effective is to understand what's taught and then to remember it. And we help you remember it by reminding you of it from time to time. And so Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 that as long as he was alive, he would not fail to remind them of truth that they were already established in. If you think that you can stand right now and list to us the 11 traits in order and have me ask you a few questions about each one, you still have place and need for review. And I don't think very many of you could do that. The third thing to make preaching effective is to obey, which means to make changes in our lives to match what we've heard from God's Word. If we understand and we remember and we don't do, we're going to be judged with greater judgment because we will have been given knowledge and have not responded to it. And so there's a greater burden upon us if the first two are true and the third one isn't, Lord help us, that we might put it into practice. We do not want it to be said of us as the wife of Phinehas said of Israel in 1 Samuel 
when she named her baby, during which birth she died. But she named her baby Ichabod. The glory hath departed. Because the glory had departed from Israel. The Ark of the Covenant had been taken and captured by the Philistines. And the high priest, Eli, and his son were dead on the battlefield. I mean, Eli wasn't on the battlefield. Eli died falling off a rock when he heard the news that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken. Ichabod, the glory has departed. The glory departs from churches when the Holy Spirit leaves those churches, though they might be perfectly sound in apostolic doctrine. He leaves them when they lose their first love. And so we want to maintain and remember and do the things the Bible teaches are more important. And we want to reach that higher ground and stay on that higher ground. And we want the younger members of this church that are sitting among us to remember that they cannot be content with doctrinal correctness, but losing the higher ground of a relationship and passion and first love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of this sermon series is to perfect this church by God's inspired goals and our personal growth. We don't want to be content. Yes, it was triggered by our 35th year anniversary celebration in which we celebrated and gave much thanks to God for delivering us from so much error and leading us, as it were, through a number of crossings of the Red Sea. This text that I've just read to you though it's only one of many, is our theme. We want to abound more and more in what we have received that helps us to walk with God and to please Him. That church at Ephesus was commended for nine things. Mm -hmm. They were commended for nine things. And they were good things. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. We don't want that set of this church. And in that passage, we are shown that our love, our fervency, our passion, our fellowship with Christ is set at a very high level. And we want that higher ground that the Lord Jesus taught them. We want to hate the status quo. We want to hate being normal, average, routine, having a form of godliness without the power. We want to hate most of all being a good church and not a great church. We can't give the Lord something exceeding magnificent in dollar amounts or a physical building or a large sacrifice like King Solomon did, but we can give Him a church that reaches for that higher ground and stands on that table land of heaven. Because we have set our affections above, not on things on the earth. We need Paul's attitude toward past accomplishments. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing toward those things which are before. Those things behind are anything that we've accomplished by God's grace for His glory. We want to forget them. How you've run the first three laps of your four-lap race doesn't matter. It's how you're going to run the last lap. Because the ten runners behind you, as you hear the bell for the last lap, may be all ready to pass you because they've been looking at you tiring and they've been drafting in your wind and they're going to blow you out right now. It's our last lap that counts. That's how Paul looked at life. And that's how he exhorted us to run our races. We want to consider the difference between the ancient landmarks, for lack of a better term, of the points of doctrine and practice that make our church uniquely different from most of those or all of them in Greenville County. For spiritual goals, we don't want to be content with dotting our I's and crossing our T's doctrinally if we're not going to have a passion and a preeminence for the Lord Jesus. If the devil can get us in the place of Ephesus, having nine condemnations and not a love of Christ, They've won. The devil's won. We've lost. And the Lord has suffered by the sake of our church not being what it should be. You should want to be reminded of ratcheting up your performance 
because you're all going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ soon and you'll give an account of your lives. The Apostle Paul was worried about it. That's why he labored so abundantly serving the Lord so that when he met the Lord, he could give an account with confidence to him of what he had done here on earth. It's very easy for churches and pastors to get distracted with various emphases that are not of God. They get distracted with building programs. They get distracted with great commission programs. They get distracted with youth programs. We don't want to be distracted with anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul would say, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's got to be a group project like Brother Bernie read. It's minister and people. It's what every joint and every part supplies. So it's me preaching to you what the Lord wants of us as a church. A church is a band of believers with the Holy Spirit's presence for ordained societal growth and prosperity for all for His glory. You know, this study is win-win-win. There's no downside if we learn, remember, and do these things. You benefit. The Lord benefits. The truth is adorned in this world. The mouths of our enemies are shut. Look at Romans chapter 1 as an example. The Bible is filled with exhortations for more and more and to increase and to grow. It's the message of the New Testament. It's running a race. Whether that race is described in 1 Corinthians 9, that there may be many participants, but there's only one winner. Or whether that race is Hebrews chapter 12, that we have a great cloud of witnesses, and how are we going to run? As a church, and as families, and as individuals, let's run to win. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What a prize it is. We don't want anything less. We want to give Him the best. Romans chapter 1, look what the Apostle said about the church there in the shadow of the governing powers of the Roman Empire. Romans 1.8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. What a wonderful verse to be written by the Apostle about a church. But look at verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. And he goes on in verses before and after this to say that he could make them even better. And that's the point of the New Testament. And that is the point of us coming in here every Lord's Day is to be made better. Lord help us. Look at that. Right in close proximity to each other. He tells them that their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, yet you need me to come there and get you more established in the truth than you are. And that is true through all the epistles. And we cannot rest on any laurels if we even have any laurels to rest upon. We want to press ahead for the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3 for another example of apostolic pressing. 1 Thessalonians 3 No wonder Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be instant. Be instant in season and out of season. What does it mean to be instant? Is it like instant pudding? No, instant means to be insistent, pressing and urgent upon God's people, whether they want it or not. Whether they're saying amen or not whether they're smiling or frowning, be instant, in season and out of season. Verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 3, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, 
he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. That's our goal. To be established, verse 13, unblameable in holiness at the coming of Christ. And what does it involve? That we might increase and abound in that 12th verse in love toward one another and all men as the apostles did toward them. This is why the series was preached. This is why the series is being preached to you. The first trait that we learned, and we just want to remind ourselves, let's make this church, number one, Christ-centered. Right. I've quoted it already, Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The great difference maker is the Lord Jesus Christ and His cross. And it should make a huge difference. And we want Him and it exalted in this church. We want to talk about it publicly. We want to talk about it privately. We want it in every one of our prayers that we are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and Him dying on the cross, a substitutionary death for us. Lord, help us. The Apostle Paul said, though as trained as he was, and as eloquent of an orator as he was, and as wise, as intelligent as he was, he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I have laid a foundation, and let every other ministerial man take heed what he builds on that foundation. For one foundation's been laid, and that foundation is Christ Jesus. So let's always talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. We love God, our Father, the Lord Jehovah of the burning bush of Moses. But we love His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto everyone that loves the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity and truth. The Gospel is all about Jesus. I'm thankful that the quizzing for this year is about the book of Hebrews. And that some of our children are memorizing great portions of the book of Hebrews. You can't do better for the preeminence of Christ than the book of Hebrews because its theme is singular and one. Its theme is focused. Jesus Christ is preeminent. Better. There's better promises. There's a better covenant. There's a better mediator. There's better priests. It's better, better, better than the Old Testament. And that Old Testament was God's religion as well. But the Lord Jesus Christ is supreme. The Old Testament was a schoolmaster. To make us look for the Lord Jesus Christ. And once faith came, we don't have any more need of that schoolmaster. It's gone. It's the old covenant. If it's called old, then it needs to be thrown away. We have the new and the better covenant. So, the first trait, and we don't need to be long. I just want you to remember. You say, but you're wasting time just reminding us. Tell Peter that. He's my ministerial manual, not you. I don't really care what you think about the preaching in this church. I want you to humble yourselves before the Word of God. If you will have gone back and looked at 30 pages of outline that we've produced so far on this little sermon series, you will find that the New Testament teaches us all that when we come into this place, we want to be pressed to improving, to increasing, to abounding, so that we can meet Him confidently. I want every one of you as you draw your last breath, like one and unlike some that I have seen do that recently, be ready to meet the Lord, eager to meet the Lord, talking about the Lord, your mind and your heart settled upon the Lord. It's coming so soon. The disciples were called Christians because our religion is all wrapped up in Him. Let's make all subjects include Him or point to Him in this church since that is so scriptural to do. Let's choose songs that predominantly speak of Him over merely spiritual songs. You know, let's make sure that we greatly outnumber songs we sing about the dear old church. We want to sing songs about the head of the dear old church, the cornerstone of the dear old church, the high priest, great, the, uh, the great shepherd of the sheep, the bishop of the dear old church. As an example, let's always be thinking Christ, Christ, and more Jesus Christ. 
rather than our proprietary doctrines. Let us make sure the person stands forth. I hope that you know that you can go to our website and do any kind of density analysis that you want and see how many times I preach on seven proofs or five phases, which are great blessings that God gave us to understand the doctrine of salvation and compare it to how many times Jesus Christ has been lifted up with sermons dedicated to Him. There's no comparison. I don't want there to be a comparison. We're thankful for the seven proofs and the five phases, but even they should point to one person, the Lord Jesus. He saved us. He's coming again to receive us unto Himself. Rather than emphasize corruption of Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Rather than emphasize the corruption of that verse by the Arminians around us, let us embrace the invitation of that verse. Because what an invitation it is. What is your favorite sermon about Jesus Christ? Do you even know how to find them on our website? Do you have a favorite song to sing or hear or passages in the Bible to read about Jesus Christ? A church is nothing but individual living stones. Therefore, our church reaching for higher ground requires all of us as individuals and all of us as families Reaching for higher ground. Or the church will fail in some of its stones. We'll get rid of those stones as the Lord shows them to us that don't really care about Him or higher ground. But see, it comes down to you. So my question was, what's your favorite sermon about Jesus Christ? What's your favorite verse about Jesus Christ? What's your favorite Messianic psalm? Okay. We gotta go a little faster. But it's okay. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I wouldn't have cared very much if I'd have never left that sermon series. I had some of the greatest joy ever in my office and in this pulpit in that series of messages. We want to emphasize the Holy Spirit in this church. I'm thankful that the prayers include more mention of Him. But let's add even more. Did you notice that when we met God in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, there were seven spirits of God before His throne? We want that Spirit in our church. Because that is His candlestick in our church. That's the light of the glory of God in our church. That makes our church a living organism. It makes it a living body, a living temple, a fit place for Jesus Christ to visit and God to inhabit. Baptists can be too fearful of this subject due to fear and rejection of Pentecostals. Let's not fear error so much that we throw away the baby in the bathwater as it is sometimes said. The Holy Spirit is God. We want God with us. Let's not be ashamed of the words Holy Spirit because they've been abused by effeminate traitors to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The prophecies and fulfillment of the Holy Spirit are great indeed in both Testaments. The Old Testament foretold the great gift of God at Pentecost as Peter quoted from Joel to explain what was happening to fishermen from Galilee that were preaching the wonderful works of God in 15 plus different languages. Amen. Amen. The comforting and kind words of Jesus before He died found in John chapters 14 through 16 are about the comforter that He's going to send to us. And He told His apostles that they should count it a good thing that He was going to die and leave so that they could get Him. Let's be glad that He has died and left them and is seated at the right hand of God and has given us His Spirit, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I appreciate a brother from last Sunday being glad at the way Galatians chapter 4 is written, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The gift of the Holy Ghost comes because we are sons. 
We don't make ourselves sons to get the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is sent to us because we are sons so that we can embrace our Father. He's already paid for our adoption. But He wants us to know Him. And He wants a tender relationship with His sons. Abba, Father. Praise God, it's by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't see, hear, or understand the truth. Without the Holy Spirit, I can't preach it effectively. Lord, help us in both directions. The Holy Spirit's work is to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Therefore, in our praying, we need to ask for the Holy Spirit of God. In us, fill us, move us, empower us, lead us, open the word to us. Give me strength to do your will, O God. He is the candlestick, the life, light, and vitality and wisdom of the church. We need to pray more. If Elisha could pray for twice the spirit of Elijah, surely we can pray for a little more of the Holy Ghost. We need to live holy lives so that we don't vex, grieve, or quench the Holy Spirit. We need to confess our sins as soon as possible to maintain His presence in our lives. He inhabits us collectively, so we want to honor the church. This is His habitation. It's obscure. I could use words for it that I don't want to use right now. It's pitiful in its appearance. It's pitiful in its market value, but it's more than sufficient for what a church needs to come together and to meet and to worship by New Testament ordinance. But it's the habitation of the Holy Spirit. So you better be on time. You better be prepared. You better participate. This is the habitation of the Holy Ghost. We've entered into the holies by coming into the presence of God when we meet. So much more could be said. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So let's keep our bodies from sin. Let us seek to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day, like John did on the Isle of Patmos. Verse 10 of that, Revelation chapter 1, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now that's just a good combination. Do you want to know how to get some revival in your life? Be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Right. And as soon as the Word of God is cracked, and you see Revelation 1, 4 through 6, if you're prepared and you're in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and you read those four verse, those three verses, Revelation four, I mean chapter one, four through six, they ought to light you up. They ought to feed your soul and mind. They ought to excite you. You're in the presence of the great God of the universe. Number three, we need to pray more publicly and privately. We know by experience and conviction that we pray more when we're closer to the Lord. We know by ex- prayers the barometer of a soul in a church. For it reflects being spiritually minded. Prayer is the activity, exercise, and fellowship of a soul close to God and His Word. Prayer is the most powerful thing you can do for your own soul's benefit and for the benefit of our church. The importance of prayer can hardly be calculated, and it impacts every area of our lives. You can have great influence, brethren, by prayer in your children, families, nation, church, evangelism against the devil, health, wisdom, prosperity, safety, fruit-bearing, and so forth. Prayer is not an option for us. Prayer is emphasized throughout the New Testament, both by example and by precept. We see the New Testament churches praying, we see the apostle praying, and we're told to pray. And we're told to continue praying. And we're told to be instant in prayer. It's not an option. We began a small pastor's prayer meeting on Thursday nights last November. You could have prayer at the end of each meal for other matters, not just before it. Where can you add prayer? I'm trying to give you little personal family ideas. Whenever you get together with friends from church, make sure that prayer occurs. Emphasize spiritual requests, brethren. Holy Spirit, wisdom, Christ revealed to us, more faith. Incline our hearts, Lord. Make me to go. Quicken me. Forgive me. Conversions, ministers, open the Scriptures to us that our nation will be turned back to godliness and honesty. 
The will of God in our lives, the peace of Jerusalem, those things we are told in the Word of God we should pray for. But you have never read the need for a prayer request for a new chariot. De-emphasize natural things that constitute most prayers by those ignorant of the Bible, such as health, jobs, money, cars, houses, spouses, weather, accidents, and so forth. We don't have to exclude all those things because the Lord does say, give us this day our daily bread. But that's all the time He took in that in, in the Lord's Prayer. We want to be praying for His kingdom around that and to emphasize the spiritual because we want our prayers to be heard. If a man seeks first the kingdom of God and is praying, God will take care of the natural things that he's not praying for because the Lord knows what we have need of before we ask. If we show Him that His kingdom is first, He'll take care of the rest. I hope that you can agree by amen when there's praying in this church. Because it is scriptural in both testaments. It doesn't matter if you feel uncomfortable with it. It doesn't matter if you think people are going to think you're some holy Joe. It doesn't matter if people are going to be startled and fall over in their pews because you haven't done it before. You ought to do it. It's true in both Testaments. I gave you Nehemiah chapter 8 last night to read as a possible chapter for reading because it says, when Ezra stood up and blessed the Lord, all the people said, Amen, Amen, men and women. Spiritual mindedness is number four. There's a war for your mind. You need to gird up the loins of your mind and make sure that you are thinking about spiritual things more than carnal things. Not in a matter, not in a time frame, because in, in the time frame that you're out there pursuing your livelihood, your mind has to be upon natural things. But every moment that relaxes between classes or between customers or between projects, You can be laying hold of the Lord, saying, Lord, help me. I love you more than this job, but I'm here doing it because you've given it to me right now, and I'm going to do it with my might. But we want to be spiritually minded about everything. The Holy Spirit clearly identifies spiritually mindedness as a desired trait for all Christians and for us. You know, Paul prophesied that Christians would become lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That is terrible. But if we're all honest with each other, there is a screaming, insatiable appetite inside us for the things of this world and for pleasures rather than for God. So we have to put off the old man, put on the new man, stir up the new man until we have an obsessive, insatiable appetite for the things of heaven and the things of Christ and the things of His Word. Sometimes... Sometimes you just have to tell yourself, stop thinking. Because what you're thinking about has no value or destructive value. And then to set your mind on things above. We must purposefully set our affection above and to help each other do the same thing. You know Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, where God tells us not to glory in wisdom or in strength or in riches. The three great temptations of life. But to glory that we know Him. And those are the most, that's the most pleasant experience, the most fulfilling relationship you can ever have on earth is to glory in God. That you know and understand me. Because He's revealed Himself to us. We can know Him. We can understand Him. And we can glory in Him. To glory in Him is to delight and be excited in Him. Lord, help us. If earthly minded, we are belly worshipers and enemies of Christ. Oh Lord, help us to set our affection on things above. Our conversations should be directed and encouraged towards spiritual subjects. What is your Facebook page about? What is its theme, its content, its appeals? When you write an email or send a text or a tweet, what do you include in it while you waste everyone else's time reading the nonsense of your life? I warn everyone that uses social media merely for personal exchange of information that no one else wants. You know, there's a legitimate use for LinkedIn and Facebook and so forth for some commercial interests. And if you are, if you're lifting up the Lord and putting a verse, a reminder for godliness out there to other people, the Lord bless your effort. Right. 
I'm just sick of the overflow and overwhelming onslaught of a tsunami of junk information that none of us need. Oh, wouldn't it have been nice to have lived back in the old days? Listen, I read the history of the Antipato Baptist Church of Christ of Georgetown this week, and we don't want to live in the old days. I do not even know how they did it. I do not know how men walked 60 miles from where they lived and then carved out 1,000-acre rice plantations in a bunch of the swampiest, ugliest property in the United States. Everyone knew of that generation that it was a sickly place to live because few could survive the weather. Right. It's just called sickly over and over and over. You know, where do you go to get food? Do you run down the street to Arby's? How did you get there? There wasn't there aren't any roads. Mm-hmm. We so we don't want it like the old days. But in the old days How much social media was there? How big was the internet? How loud was the television? How many radio stations? How many newspapers in Georgetown to begin with? You know how much information you had? Not much more than this. Right. It would have been a nice way to live in some respects. I'm humbled. I'm nearly ruined by reading about those ministers. And that poor church, because no minister would stay there because it was such a sickly part of the country. They would not stay. Minister after minister after minister after minister after minister would not make it more than 12 months and leave that church again. They begged. They pleaded. They wrote letters everywhere trying to get pastors. I still love the name. When I stand on their graves down there in Georgetown, I tell them, if you'll come up, (laughs) just humor your pastor for a minute. If you'll come up, I want to give you a bear hug and tell you you are a true man of God for placing your church right next to the Church of England and naming it the Antipato Baptist Church of Christ. For those of you that don't understand, Pado means children. A pediatrician starts out with pedo in the word because it's a doctor for children. Churches that baptize children are called pedo-baptists. That's the theological term, pedo-baptists, because they baptize infants. And so here's a church with the sign out front that says, Antipedo, against children being baptized. Antipedo, Baptist Church of Christ. But their outreach and their and their pulpit was weak until the turn of the 20th century. We have our church here. How long will it last? How long will it be spiritually alive right. and declaring by, by our lives and by our words the glory of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, more prayer and being spiritually minded. Number five, we need a heavenly perspective. We want to think on things above and the Lord Jesus Christ coming for us. You know, when we come into church and are reminded that we're going to meet the Lord, there's going to be a great reversal of fortune, it completely changes your perspective of this world. Don't, don't you envy the wicked in all the things that they're enjoying right now because they're having their heaven. They'll get their hell for eternity and will get heaven. But you know, when you're walking with the Lord, we have it in both places. We're already experiencing some of the joys of those golden streets. Right. Number six, we want a relationship over religion and truth. God has saved us not to keep us just from hell, but rather for us to know Him. John 17.3, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. That's why He saved us. So His children can know Him. And He can reveal Himself to us. We mean walking with God is to be exalted above any academic list of doctrines. We mean delighting in God Himself is to be chosen over delighting in the church. 
We mean fellowship with God in Christ is better than new arguments for truth. We want to make sure that we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and we are delighting in Him personally and not just doctrines organized to fit into a systematic theology. Believing the truth. Believing true doctrine. This is how much it accomplishes for the sake of this argument. It elevates you from pagan idiots to the level of depraved devils. See, pagan idiots don't know the truth. Depraved devils know more of it than you do. So what makes the difference? We've got to go way past just the intellectual knowledge of the doctrines that we believe and the practices that we observe and press for that relationship with God. They don't have that at all. And we can have that. We're the sons of God. If you remember the aerial view of heaven has all creatures out here. It's about verse 13 in Revelation 5. Then you've got the ring of the angels around the throne of God. The hundred, the hundred million and million and thousands of thousands. And then in the, who's the inner circle? We are the four and twenty elders and the four beasts representing the church in different ways are right around the throne of God. The angels are not called the sons of God. We are. They're outside us. They're our servants. We want to make sure that we emphasize that relationship. Number seven, we want to have personal holiness in our lives because the holiness of our church, remember? In the, in the Bible, it says, worship God in the beauty of stained glass. Worship God in the beauty of a new building. Worship God in the beauty of careful, manicured lawns. Worship God in the beauty of holiness. That's how we make our worship beautiful. God is holy, and He rightly demands our holiness. Holiness is spiritual purity, sinlessness, by consecration to God's use without pollutions of sin or this world. We want to have a holy church for the Lord. It's an important part of the Old Testament. It's an important part of the New. We must hate sin, sinners, a sinful lifestyle, sinful entertainment, and light preaching. Every member needs to apply himself toward this so that we can have a holy church by that which every part supplies. You cannot be more holy than your affections and your thoughts, so purify them. Your affections, what do you love? What do you want? What do you think about? What do you desire? Purify them. Make them holy. Reject unholy family, unholy friends to consecrate yourself like the Levites did when Moses said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And his Levite cousins came to him and he said, Gird your swords on and go through this camp and kill every man his brother. Kill every man his friend. Kill every man his neighbor that's been involved in this golden calf worship. That's serious, serious holiness. Number eight, personal devotion. (coughs) Personal devotions. How can our church be great if we ourselves and our families are not so great in the first seven traits? A church, God's temple, can be no better than its combination of individual stones. So let's help each individual in this church, starting with ourselves, to have personal devotions. We use the word devotions. It's in the Bible, but not in the sense that we use it. For private time to commune with God, to fellowship with God, to draw nigh to Him, to invite Him in, in the spirit of Revelation 3.20, to read the Bible, to pray, to confess our sins, to meditate, to self-examine, to review sermons, to sing, to study. That's what we mean by the term. There's 168 hours in the week. There's 1,440 minutes in a day. There's time. There's time. Don't say you don't have time. We waste so much of our time. And when we stand before God, I can promise you because He tells us to redeem the time because the days are evil, He's going to say, I put you in evil days. Why didn't you redeem the time? So let's make time for personal devotions. Jesus taught secret devotions. His Father would reward openly, remember? If you pray to your Father in secret, He'll reward thee openly. He assumed it. He taught it. He did it Himself. David did it over and over and over again in the Psalms. We can read about it. 
Remember these words, chosen from God's Word to describe devotions. Meditate, muse, ponder, consider, search, examine, think, remember, commune, delight, glory, and take pleasure in God and His works and His words. Self-examination is a big part of devotions. Examining yourself, measuring yourself, remembering from whence thou art fallen and repenting. To do the first works again. Our lives and our world are too busy and too noisy. That's one of the negatives about all the witty inventions that we've had. They crowd out the quiet time that everyone had in the past. Remember, God is jealous and wants you to love Him only. It doesn't need to be a long time or a tiring time. Taking any time is far better than no time. It needs to be focused, personal, intimate, transparent, supplicating time with God. You need to be eager, impressionable, vulnerable, receptive, expressive, thankful as you meet with Him. We have a very simple Bible reading program and there's new materials out here. Thank you, Brother Jeff, Sister Rhonda, Danielle, others. There's new new materials out here for the year 2016. Uh, For our church to be great and to reach higher ground, you must spend individual time with the Lord so that collectively our church grows in grace, spiritually mindedness, holiness, and in our relationship with Him. There's new materials up here. Use them. Take them. Use them. We'll replace them. We'll replace them again. We have daily devotionals prepared by my father and brother to go along with each one of those chapters. They're easily available on our website. Click, print. And you can have a little devotional to help you think through the chapter that you just read. Number nine, spiritual warfare. I'm thankful that my father, in this pulpit just a little while ago, prayed That in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God would deliver this congregation, every one of you hearers, from any oppression by the devil and the powers of darkness. We need to remember that that warfare is going on all the time. The warfare that the world wants us to think about doesn't even matter. And that's political warfare. Who cares? It's always existed and God's completely in charge and He's going to direct it according to His own will. But here's a matter that we need to take great care of that's that's coming into every one of our homes. The government hasn't entered our homes yet. They're not taking away our homes, but the devil will. He'll take away your marriage. He'll take away your thoughts. He'll take you away. So we've got to fight him and oppose him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by putting on the whole armor of God and defending ourselves by resisting him and he will flee from us. We walk by faith, not by sight. So there are, there are things good and bad that we cannot visually focus on, but they are very real. We need to be sober and vigilant to resist the evil adversary that we have that is walking about seeking whom he may devour. He is looking for weak, carnally minded, foolish Christians because they are so easy for him to devour them. To devour them simply means to get them totally entranced by the things of this world so that they are spiritually non-productive. Though they come to church every Sunday. That's to devour them. He doesn't need to get them on drugs. Who cares about drugs? What about losing your soul? Because you love the things of this world. That's a total loss of your life. You're an idiot for sacrificing the glorious, weighty, eternal, precious things of God's Word and His kingdom for the things of this tinsel, temporary, disappearing, corrupt world. Lord, help us. He'll take advantage of any opening that you give Him by God's permission or your foolishness. You can resist the devil and send Him packing because Jesus Christ has defeated Him. How do you resist the devil? The Bible's not silent. Don't do what He wants you to do. Jesus resisted with three answers of Scripture and wouldn't do what He wanted Him to do. Turn stones to bread. I won't. Man shall not live by bread alone. Worship me. I won't. You can have these kingdoms. I don't care. Let's be like the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say after those three? The devil left him. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Much more was said. Much more is in the outline that you're able to see again that I must pass over. Not yet. Number nine, spiritual warfare. 
I hope that you'll all minimize any intellectual exercise learning about him, but rather resist him. Get it? The Bible doesn't say learn about the devil. I probably shouldn't even tell you, but I would think that anybody that knows how to find YouTube knows that it's there. You can go onto YouTube and click in exorcisms and learn about the devil. And you know what you're doing when you do that? You're opening yourself up to him and giving him a place into your life. You don't need to learn about the devil. Right. Do you know who you need to learn about? The Lord Jesus Christ who's already defeated him. Amen. Destroyed him and triumphed over him. Amen. The more you learn about Jesus Christ, do you know how much the devil wants to be at your house? Every time you sing about Jesus Christ, do you know how much the devil wants to be at your house? He's going to go to the neighbor. Let's learn about his victor, his triumphant conqueror. Pray that God will not lift his hedge about our church, about your family, or around you. Like he lifted from Job, David, Hezekiah, and Peter. Look what happened to those four great men when God lifted his hedge of protection. If he lifts his hedge of protection from us, any one of you are capable of doing anything. Let's pray for God to preserve that. Let's stop fighting distracting windmills like City Hall or Washington, which are just games, and fight the real battle, right. which is not with flesh and blood. It's with principalities and powers in heavenly places, far above 1600 Pennsylvania Ave. Far above. But when you, when a Christian who's walking with God, living a holy life, loving the Lord Jesus Christ, gets down on his knees and prays for our nation, there is power at his disposal that transcends any earthly armies or influence by how many times you could sign your name on some petition. Let's fight the real war. Keep your marriage peaceful and romantic, or he will gain inroads because 1 Corinthians 7 tells us that. He has access to your bedroom. The television is his pulpit. Don't forget it. Let's continue to reject anything to do with Halloween and witchcraft. Number 10, the fruit of the Spirit. This trait of higher ground is different than emphasizing the Holy Spirit. It is having the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The fruit of anything is that which is produced, its effects, its results, or its consequences. We want the results and the production of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Remember, Jesus gave a harsh little parable about a barren fig tree in his vineyard. And the laborer there told the Lord, give me another year to dig and dung around it. The Lord is long-suffering. But then that laborer said, if in a year it doesn't bear fruit, come back and cut it down. And the Lord's cut down many around us. We don't want Him to cut us down. Lord, save this church and bless us with spirit power to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We want all men to see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Remember, I gave you 18 just to get you started. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. How great are you in these fruits? What's your yield in bushels per acre? What's your yield? Let's start over. Love. Bible love. Not your idea of love. Love. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, righteousness, truth, virtue, knowledge, godliness, purity, easy to be entreated, merciful, praiseful. There was 18 just to get you warmed up on things that we want from the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a lie from the devil that you can't do these things. You can do them by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what Paul meant when he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That was in a context of being contented with nothing. Or very little on his part. You can do this. We do not wait fatalistically for the Spirit to produce this fruit. We need to learn and do it by His power. He's already told us it's what He wants us to do. He's already indwelling us to help us do it. 
We must confess our sins quickly in these matters and thoroughly to avoid quenching or grieving that Spirit. Number 11, soul winning. We need the Spirit's fruit more, the trait that we've just covered, but we also need this fruit. The fruit of the righteous. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. Your life may be reduced to two goals. Love and service to God and to other men. To God and to other men. Love and service to them. This is not dropping your jacket in the mud puddle to help the lady cross the street. We are primarily in the Bible talking about helping someone please God more perfectly in their lives. Converting brethren within the church, converting unbelievers and unlearned outside the church, bringing in Apollos to know the way of God more perfectly. What fruit do you have to your account in souls that have been converted by your influence in their lives? And while family is important for fathers, it shouldn't count for this discussion. What have you done outside your family? Where have you reached to save others? We want that epitaph. He delighted in God above all others. He was a tree of life to all others. We want to be like Andrew, who when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. Andrew, who had been a disciple of John, said, No no more of him. And follow Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you guys want? Well, where, where are you going to spend tonight? I don't have money. You know, and that exchange takes place in John chapter 1. Andrew went and got Peter. And said, Peter, we found him. We found the Messiah. And so there's two of the twelve apostles. And then Nathaniel was found by Philip. Philip went and told him, we found the Messiah. Can anything, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That'd be kind of discouraging. Would you give up and walk away? Or do you cast it in again? I know you fishermen. You have something I don't have. That's why you do it. You cast it in again. You cast it in again. Philip didn't get up, give up with Nathaniel until Nathaniel said, okay, I'll come and check him out. And the Lord Jesus took over, didn't he? Right. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel wanted to know how he knew him. Well, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Really? No, don't worry about that. The things you're going to see in the days to come are going to be angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Right. But there were two human soul winners in there, weren't there? Andrew and Philip. Lord, help us and show us our Peters and show us our Nathaniels and show us our Apollos's that we can be soul winners in the way that you have taught us. I've been thinking about our simple Bible reading program. That is a great idea for small pill evangelism. Anyone that you know might have an inkling toward reading the Bible. They could be a professing Christian. They might not be a professing Christian. You have a little tool to show them how that just by reading one chapter a day and avoiding the hard parts of the Bible, they can get from Genesis to Revelation. And there's a devotional, simply simple, made up for them to help them through any one of those chapters. Now that's not too offensive, is it? Here we are. We're 20 days or so away from the new year. And you can make a suggestion. How would you like to read the Bible through in uh, 2016? You don't even have to get off on the King James Bible version issue. Just let them get in there and have to use our devotional. Right. Don't, don't even get off on that subject. Just see if they'll read the Bible. Do you know what? There's enough truth in the NIV to be converted. Is there enough truth in the NIV to make a man of God perfect? Absolutely not. We are accused of not caring about souls. Let's make sure that we prove them wrong. Save souls in your family, in your church, and others by God's providence. The Spirit made it clear that by living your life a certain way, the godly way, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Peter 3, you can win an unconverted spouse. 
not guaranteed, but offered there for those that will live a godly life. Our love for each other in this assembly should be palpable without any pretensions. You need to know enough so that you can teach others the truth. You can't just say, well, we believe, we believe, we believe. You need to be able to show them the Word of God and give a reason for the hope that is within you. Our doctrine is very logical and reasonable, and you need to know how to defend it. And you should be able to do it graciously. And the more you know, the more gracious you can be because you don't feel threatened because you know you have the truth. We want to pray for contacts far and near, as we will in our second service. Is there not a cause for us to seek higher ground? There is indeed. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do with thy might right now through your pastor, through your prayers for your pastor. He has led us to this series of messages. Higher ground. Let's do it with our might. It takes understanding it. It takes remembering it. It takes obeying it. Let it never be said of this church, Ichabod, the glory of God has departed. And amen.